Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? The man who says Black history saved my life and wrote a book about it is known as Mr. Ernest Krim III. He is a self-proclaimed Black history advocate who is a native to the South Side of Chicago and a product of the late 80s. Mr. Krim is a University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign alum who advocates for Black history, equity, and justice as a speaker, cultural consultant, socio-political commentator, a cast member on PBS documentary, Divided We Fall. He is an author of the Amazon bestseller entitled Black History Saved My Life, How My Viral Hate Crime Led to an Awakening. Former city council candidate and high school science instructor, Mr. Ernest Krim is a must-follow on social media, and we are so excited to share this space with him today. Welcome to CTN with J.D. Fuller. All right. So first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm a big fan of yours. You need to know that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, One of the many things I love about finding you and following you on social media is that you are always talking about what is great about the shy. Can you talk a little bit about growing up there? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you just put a whole other flavor on it. And I, and I love it because I, I fantasize that I'm from there. So t- tell me about you, about. <laughs> well, you, you know, first off, shout out to Dilla. He's another content creator out there. You know, I follow him. Make sure you follow a six figure Dilla. He's someone who definitely in the content creation space puts on for the city. And, you know, and the same, and the same thing with me. I, mm-hmm. I, I talk about everything about black history. In terms of my experience, you know, born and raised in Chicago on the South Side, and just the the diversity of neighborhoods. I mean, it's one of the places where you can get great food wherever you are. And when you like travel somewhere, you you are quickly reminded that Chicago is the epitome of great food and great culture. One of the things I love, too, is like I I feel like Chicago can either make or break you, especially if you're a black person in the city because of how we've been done. I'm always humbled and excited to see the connection that many people have to Chicago when I'm doing research, like, you know, I, w- I just posted a story about Mae Jemison 30 years ago this month or this week. She was the first black woman in, in space and she was born in Alabama, but she was wow. raised in Chicago, went to the same high school I went to. And there's always these connections, yeah. you know, Quincy Jones going back to that, you know, of course, that we, we know some more yeah. contemporary people as well. But I, I feel like if you can, if you're a black person and you can make it through the South side or the West side, that you can do anything because, again, they, they squeeze us. They, they put us in those situations when we moved here as we left the South in search of safety and economic prosperity. And it, it just forced us to make a way out of nowhere. And we're still doing that now, despite all the, the negative press and publicity we get. But I think it, it was just, you know, you have all those people from the South coming together and they're and they're making their own community in this northern environment. And, you know, I'm, I'm from that. Same you know, mold. there's so many things that that you say that are that are great and, and just so nuanced about the experience of growing up in Chicago. And one of the things is the rap that it gets. You know, it is constantly, constantly the focus right. of what is wrong with black America. And so to see so much greatness come out of there, it is a testament to those roots. They are solid. They are deep and they are powerful. Definitely. And you can stand that win. So that for that alone. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, those Woo! those winters are brutal too. So <laughs> you can survive that. For real. You can survive anything. I, I pretend I'm from Chicago until that winter comes. Then I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to go a little bit into, I mean, there's so much to cover with you. I'm going to do my best to get to everything, get to anything, everything. Who mm -hmm. am I kidding? But here we go. So as an educator and an activist, you have received important recognition. I'm just going to go down the list here. You've been awarded most inspiring teacher more than five times. The Joliet Chamber of Commerce's Great Teacher mm -hmm. Award. The National Hookup of Black Women's Gold Star Award for Education. The PEPS, Community Activist of the Year Award and the Dr. Isaac Singleton Award for Extra Extraordinary Service by the Rainbow Push Coalition, Coalition in Joliet. Tell us about your transition into the classroom and why you recently left the school environment altogether. Yeah, so, you know, my story is summed up with the phrase in the title of my book, Black History Saved My Life. When I went to college, I went to the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I actually have the shirt on now I'm representing. And coming from the South Side, even though we only went like an hour and a half, two hours away, it was just an eye-opening experience for me. Because when you're in the city, you know, I was just out there today because mm -hmm. I live nearby. So, you know, I'm always just amazed at just how much traffic it is. And any time of the day, it might take you 30 minutes to get a mile down the street or something <laughs> like that. It's crazy, you know. So going to Urbana-Champaign, it's like it's, it's in the middle of the state. And Chicago is, you know, right. the northeastern part. Everything else is kind of, you know, small, medium-sized right. town, very desolate. So just having that space to think, the Black community was strong there. And after my first semester, I almost flunked out. I was in a different major. I just wasn't really passionate about it. I mean, it was a difficult transition. So that second semester, my freshman year, I decided to take some different courses to see what was out there, see what I liked. I took some, like, a journalism class. I took a Black history course. And, and I think those two courses kind of encapsulate what I do now. You know, like I, I love I love journalism. I love writing. I love telling stories and I love our history. So that first black history course, though, just blew me away and I fell in love with it. And I said, this is the thing that I needed to know. This is what the people in my neighborhood need to know, because if we knew these things, then we wouldn't do the things we've been doing. Understand it's a game. It's a setup. But we're not taught that. We're, we're just trying to survive day by day. That's why there's violence and there's, you know, a lot of gang issues. It's because we're born into the situation. And before we can even figure out what happens, the trauma keeps hitting us. So we're just trying to survive. But being able to leave for four years and almost having to go back is almost flunked out. I was able to connect the dots. And I said, I, I got to be able to share this. This was also the first year or second year of Facebook. So I would get these books and I would read while we're here a lecture. And I would come home, log on my laptop because yeah. we didn't have it on our phones yet. And I would share this information. It was like that that was the thing I wanted to do the most. Did yeah. you know this? Did you all know this? And that kind of, you know, just just snowballed until I took another course. That class was even better. I found out that that professor, Dr. Abdul Al-Kamat, also taught my mom like 30 years prior when she was in school. Just like the yes. weirdest coincidence, right? So for me, it was I have to find a way to do what he's doing because I hadn't heard somebody that inspired me that much with the way mm. they spoke since Malcolm X. And I was, you know, watching Malcolm X on the video, of course, just made me want to just 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 stand up at stand right. up for us at the highest level. But hearing him in person, you know, a couple of times a week, it was wow. the same level of passion. So my first thought was mm -hmm. I need to be a professor. But I said, well, you know, I want to reach us before we get to college, because what if we don't want to go? What if we don't make it there? So I, I, I was thinking about elementary, high school, but I was like, no, nah, I don't want to teach nothing else except history. So 
That's when I decided that I went and got my master's degree and understand that teaching. It was not about loving the profession. It was about loving our people. And, and teaching is the only job where you can get in front of kids every single day. And they have to be there. Now, you're going to have some kids truant, but they have to Damn. be at that school, you know. So and, and that's why I did what I did. And, you know, I taught in Chicago for a couple of years, taught in Joliet for 10 years. I started a mentoring program in the midst of that dealt with the hate crime. Then, you know, I, I started the Black Student Union. I began speaking. I began, you know, doing a lot mm -hmm. more content creation. I, I was going to different schools and I was able to speak directly to kids about what I wanted to, as opposed to speaking to kids about the curriculum they gave me. And that's when I began to really feel like I need to get out of here because they're stressing me out. Um, I have to grade <laughs> too much. I don't like doing that. I don't like lesson planning. I don't like teaching Damn to the one. test. So I got to make my own rules. And for me, it was about it was about living what I talked about. It was like, you know, walking the walk, talking the talk. I talk about freedom. I talk about what we fall for. So now I have to experience the level of freedom that I say that I admire in our ancestors. And that's why I decided to do this. You're song. amazing. That journey is so important and powerful. And the idea of practicing what you preach, you know, that that's how I've led my career. So I, I absolutely understand it. And it's, I say this yeah. all the time to you young content creators. It's like, you know, you all give me hope because, you know, I've been on the front line for over 20 years. And the idea that now you have social media to spread the word and the way that you, you can do it and the way the creativity you use, it's just so powerful. It's like the hope I need at this point in my life. So I get very excited yeah. about having you on and just hearing your story and everything you shared is, is really powerful. Thank, Thank you. you so much for going through that. So appreciate that. I'm going to, am I going to shift gears a little bit? Okay. Let's get to the. Let's get to kind of the thing that shifted your life, right? So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go through a little yeah, bit of yeah. of what I've read. Uh, you've been featured on WVON mm -hmm. Radio, the New York Post, Chicago Sun Times, and Tribune, Tribune, PBS as a cast member on the documentary "Divided We Fall," NPR, CBS, Matter of Fact, the podcast of the Red Table Talk, and Positively Gam. Is it the catalyst of which? Oh, 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 okay. It's yeah. called Positively Gam, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. That's the red, the red Okay, red that's what it's, I got it, I got it. I didn't Gam, quite understand yeah. that. And so all mm. of this was the catalyst mm -hmm. for your book. Can we talk about that? So, again, the title of my book is Black History Saved My Life. And I always tell people there were three situations, I would say, that did that for me. Because when you say history saved your life, what it means is you found something in the past that gave you motivation to, to mm -hmm. do great things moving forward. And the first time would be, you know, uh, living on the south side of Chicago in a house that to me was almost like a black history museum as well. We just had black mm. history pictures everywhere. We had pictures of us pre-enslavement. We had pictures of, of great people during enslavement. We had, you know, Malcolm X, Dr. King, we had all of this in our house. So like for me, before I even went to school, I already knew who I was. So at the age of nine, I asked my mom, you know, why we had never had a black president before. This is in the 90s. And she said, because Damn. they're waiting on you to grow up. So like I always had this, yeah, like I always had this positive reinforcement. It was always like this idea that, you know, there are problems, but for one, they're not your fault, but two, you're going to help, help solve them. So that was a mindset I had. So that's the first time. The second time, of course, I almost flunked out of school. In my mind, I had never dealt with something like that in my life. Like, it, it seems trivial, but like, you know, my, my parents, mm. they, they took care of us. We didn't have everything materially, but we were wealthy mm. in terms of the love we had. 
So like while there was a lot of nonsense going on outside in our neighborhood in, in the city in the 90s, we we were comforted and we were nourished and we were raised the way we were supposed to be. So like having to deal with that, that was a big thing for me. And literally taking that black history course, it like yeah. I'm a passionate person, as you can tell. Like so if it's not if, if I'm not oh. passionate about it, I can't do it. Like I it was it was hard for me to keep teaching when I knew that. Like the kids were the only thing keeping me there, but that can't sustain mm. me. They only there four years and they gone. This can't sustain right. me for 35 years waiting on a pension. I need to get directly to my people. So taking that course, I went from a 1.4, my first uh, semester, 1.4. I graduated wow. with a 3.1. And, and that's only because I took the courses, black history, other history that fit my learning style. And I had to like yeah. grind to the nail every semester. And, and the third thing that, you know, in terms of black history saving my life was, you know, I feel like the first six years or so of me teaching from 2010 to 2016, I was in some ways planted small according to my potential. I was teaching. I was very passionate doing my thing. I had the male mentoring group, but that's where it stopped. When I left school, like I didn't have a, mm -hmm. a social media presence. I didn't post anything right. publicly. It was all private. I would go to protests, but I was like, you know, do, just blending in wait slow but down slow, slow down one happened, second because we have to give I, a shout out to yeah, your parents yeah. we, we can't we can't get into that negative experience yeah. Oh, yeah. until oh, i take no a doubt. moment no to doubt. shout out your parents because yeah. man if we all had images like that around us growing up can you imagine mm -hmm. i mean you you are an example of the product of what can happen like the manifestation of what can happen when a child yeah. knows who they are yeah. and they're not going to get it in school you're not going to get it yep. in school. So how exactly. do we create environments outside of school to nurture blackness? And your parents, man, they need to write a book on it because that is incredible yeah. what they did. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm committed to reverse engineering that really. Like my book is really, it, it's not broken down that way. But if you read it deeply, especially from first grade up through college, it's almost like a parenting right. guide for black parents. But now what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to break it down. Like I have a, I have a, a affirmation and history, black history book nice. coming out very soon for kids. Like for me. So it was like, it was, yes. it's the affirmations. It's yeah. been seeing it, you know, and then seeing like my, oh, okay. my mom was an educator and, and she wasn't just a teacher. She taught math, but like she ain't, I mean, I, I really mm. feel like she just chose math. You know, it was, it was the mentorship wow. and she's a preacher. Now she would take her, she would take her students. We would pick them up and go to church. As a child, that's, that's mind blowing to me. It's like those ain't my my siblings, right. but they community, they are. but they are because because we because because I learned I learned that we're a community. So she would pick them up, like that's unheard of now. Like they probably wouldn't. Yes. They're probably trying to fire you yes. for doing something like that. Now. But she raised money to take these kids from the south side of Chicago she, to D.C. Like she took these kids from Roseland to Washington D.C. in the nineties. So like I I saw that. I saw so it's for, for me it's like if she uh, has social media then I would be uh, in her in her man, shadow. That is that, that I think she's the <laughs> next know? one to interview. That's pretty incredible. I I told I, I I told her she need to write a book about that experience. That could be a Netflix movie. <laughs> Take them kids to DC. <laughs> You're not lying about that. <laughs> okay, I don't want to minimize the the other catalyst, but I just I just had to shout out to them. So, let's shift into uh Prime that got over 25 million views. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is 2016, um, July 30th to be exact. My wife's an educator, too. 
So we were kind of like, you know, we started school mid-August, so we're winding down. We go to this event called Margarita Fest on the south side of Chicago. It's like an outdoor day party. It's a black event. It's, you know, it's on the, I mean, it's right off the lake. So it's just beautiful mm -hmm. scenery. It's a beautiful day. They got food, trucks, great music, all of that. So we're just having a good time. And this is kind of like our last hurrah before going back to work. Also, too, contextually, this is the summer before uh, yeah, yeah. Trump, you know, ran for president. Um, this is also the summer where you had mm. Philando Castile was, was shot on Facebook Live, shot and killed. You had Alton Sterling. You had Sandra Bland. That happened in 2015, I believe, but they didn't press right. charges in 2016. So this is like one of the second or third wave of Black Lives Matter. So when we go to this event, on my mind, it's having fun, but yes. it's also them. Of course. You know, it's also like just just the, the, the whole. Yeah. So towards the end of that event, we decided to head out and. I, I saw there was an open cornhole game, mm -hmm. which is like beanbag game or whatever. So we decided to play it, and there was only one beanbag for that particular station. So we just kind of like was looking around, waiting. There was a group next to us, and they pretty much had all the other ones. It was two black and two white folks. Somebody threw a bag really far. Nobody grabbed it. So my wife went to grab it after a while, and that's when like all hell broke loose. A white lady in that group like ran up to us and just started yelling at us and everything. She was like belligerent, absolutely crazy over this beanbag, right? But we know it's really because we were black. So she demands it back. Of course, I say no because I was taught manners. You don't speak to people like that. And, you know, depending on the situation, I match energy. So you're not going to get it back. You're not about to disrespect us. It escalates and she calls us the N-word. And I was just like in shock because she yeah. there were two black folks, too. And as she's calling us that, you know, she they began to submerge closer to us as if they're protecting her. She begins calling over the cops at us. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how yes. is this black man right here allowing this to happen and not saying anything? Because my disappointment was to them, not her. I'm, I'm not shocked if a white person is racist when America is that's that's the product they want to produce. They want you to be divisive and racist if you're white. So I take out my phone. I press record. I'm like, okay, now I need to document this, at least have this piece of evidence because what she's doing, whatever she does outside of this, it, she needs yeah. to get some type of penalty for it. So I say, you know, say it again. And she's just like but beside herself and she just starts screaming it. And that's where it picks up because first wow. she slaps it on my hand, actually. And I pick it up and I say, keep saying it. Give me your address. Yeah. At that point, I'm trying to get everything. <laughs> and honestly, I, yeah, I really shocked. couldn't believe it, too. You know, so. And then she, yeah, comp completely shocked. Like, I, that's never mm. happened to my face like that in a confrontational manner. So she takes a step in the other direction, looks back, and then she spits on us. And that was like, that was when it became a crime. That was when the officer, I don't know if he saw that part, but he eventually came over mm -hmm. and he was trying to throw her out. Got into oh a, a tussle with her too. And that was like the... Yeah, that was the beginning of a huge transition in my life where I just where I came out of my shell and said, why am I just doing this in the class when I know that the reason why I maintain my sanity, the reason why I decided to push forward and fight for this is because I knew in my mind that, look, I mean, Greensboro Forest sat there for us. You know, the city, like they sat in and got abused like this for us and there was no recourse. Right. They couldn't press charges. Knowing what Dr. King went through and Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, going back further, Harriet Tubman, like, the least I could do yeah. is pursue this <laughs> in 2016. And, and you know, you will, you will never see, you know, I want to say never, but up until that point, you never saw a situation in which there's a black man 
a black woman next to a white woman and she has a mugshot. Wow. She has the jumpsuit and she's the one that was charged. And we have a history of being accosted that way. And I, I felt like I needed to make a right. statement for my family and also too, to teach people another way to fight for justice, even though like I understand wanting mm-hmm. to physically respond, but I felt like that wasn't so, the best route. So a couple questions. Were the kids there then? They, they, were, they weren't born then, were they? Okay. So. Oh, no. Well, so I, I have I have four now, but I had two at the time. Okay. They were three and one. They yeah. So they so imagine we come home and yeah. our mind is just everywhere. And I, I I spent like the next week and a half or so before going back to work looking up lawyers. I mean, you have a three and right. one year old like they don't know what's going on. There's a lot of confusion, mental health. Like we had somebody mail a, a note to our house calling us the N word anonymously. So now we're trying to get mm. security systems. Dealing with the paranoia, like not sleeping sometimes because right. you wonder who's like, is somebody coming right. to our house with our kids? So right. thankfully they weren't there. Um, I don't know yeah. what would have happened, but um, it, it definitely well, influenced our parents. you know, parents you're talking forward, about, you know, racial trauma and you're talking about the fact that that energy comes home mm-hmm. to your children. So whether they're there or not, you know, as, as, a, as a clinician, I have to they point felt. out the fact that that energy is is transmitted. They're feeling it. It changed mm. your parenting. That's mm. that's hugely mm. impactful. So mm. I know one of the one of the things is yeah. that I always think it's interesting when, you know, when white media uh, compliments us on not being, you know, aggressive. That's such a bizarre, right? Yeah. That's such a bizarre concept. Like, yeah. somebody was just aggressive to me, but you're complimenting me for not being aggressive. That, I mean, I think about that, right? Exactly. And so, um, you know, that was one of the things that that people said is that, uh, you know, your self-restraint was compelling. And it's like, I don't know what to do with that. But you yeah. said that your life had equipped you to resolve this and to pursue the case diligently. Mm. Will you talk about that a little bit? So, you know, in my book, like it, my book is essentially a prequel to that event. And one of, yeah, so one of the things I realized was, so I, one of the things I hated when, when I would talk to people in that immediate aftermath was like, everybody was just, especially people who weren't black. They were like, oh my God, they were so, I'm, they were apologizing. I can't believe you did with them. I'm so sorry. She's a horrible right. person, blah, blah, blah. How, how did you, you know, how did you deal with that? It's so racist. And I said, that ain't the most racist thing I ever dealt with. I, I got really frustrated with that. It's like, and, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing being called the N word or being spat on. Like that's disgusting. But the most racist thing was I lived in a food desert that, that, that lowers your life expectancy. I lived in a hood and it was mm. not our creation. I, like I, I, I was bust, you know, like my mom had to decide if she wanted me to go to a school that lacked resources, that was all black or be bust to a school that was all white and possibly deal with racial mm. trauma there. Like that's, those are decisions we have to make other people don't. That's the racism out there with being pulled over and fearing for your life when I'm 16. That like, you know, see, seeing our seeing the education system and, and, and seeing how our kids are not taught to their strengths and they're taught to be something different. That's the most racist thing I dealt with. So in, in that situation, it prepared me because I knew that from the age of six, going to that school, I, I dealt with microaggressions up until that point. It's like, oh, this is like you're the first one to say it to my face, not the first one to say it to me, the first one to say it to my face, but how many others have felt that way and they've implemented policies or treated me a certain way that reflected that, mm. that, that inward feeling. 
that they weren't brave mm, enough mm. to say outwardly. So again, it's a perspective. If you know that you were the first people here, if you know that you built the great, the first great cultures and civilizations that will be copied all across the world, if you know that you like, like essentially helped Europe out of the dark ages, <laughs> if you know that you were placed on ships and supposed to die and somehow some way survived and and persevered, not given any reparations, and you found a way to still get up and keep pushing and create all the great culture in this world and build the foundation for wealth. Again, how can I not want to push back when somebody commits a crime against me that's racially motivated? It's like, again, you did this to me, but like, bro, I'm from the same city as Emmett Till. The least okay. I could do, <laughs> the least I could do is pursue this, you know, and, you know, and make a it, statement it, the, the, you see, Everything you're saying just, just resonates so deeply with me, but the reality of it is, is the internalized oppression is so deep. Getting to all that history you needed to push you forward is not accessed by the community at yeah. large. And that's why it's such an amazing feat that you push forward to pursue a case. It is nothing to do with self-restraint. It has to do with trying to seek your own justice. That's what pisses exactly. me off. It's like, what do you mean, exactly. you know, that's a horrible yeah. person? You know, <laughs> white liberals are great for wanting to dwindle it down to yeah. one person. That person is horrible. As opposed yeah, to exactly. the system your ancestry created is what's horrible. This person is a product of what She's is a horrible. product of that. Yeah. All right. Look, exactly. I already know exactly. that this is going to be two shows. So right now I'm going to just end here <laughs> and I'm going to kick off the next show with the rest of my questions because you are powerful. I'm just telling you that you are powerful. Thank you. And thank you thank for you. staying. And We'll get right back to you. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. Okay, let's do it.